the Valkyrie Cycle, a Monster Hearts 2 actual play podcast by Midnight Ceremonies Media. Epilogue, a warmer world. Howdy, I'm Catherine, and I have been the Game Master for the Valkyrie Cycle, as well as a co-director and an editor uh, for the episodes. Before we begin the episode, uh, just a few reminders. If you're tweeting or posting about the show online, please use hashtag TheValkyrieCycle or hashtag TVCSpoilers to tag your content and to help us see anything you'd like to share with us. You can follow our official account at Midnight Sea Media on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for updates and additional information about this show and more. Finally, a warning that this season deals with heavy themes, including recurring and intense depictions of generational trauma, internalized homophobia, violence, and inter-party conflict. For episode-specific content warnings, please check the episode description or visit our website at midnightceremoniesmedia.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have enjoyed the show. I hope you've enjoyed the story. It is one that means a lot to me and a lot to everyone involved. Uh, So I hope that you enjoy this very final episode of The Valkyrie Cycle, the epilogue, A Warmer World. We fade in from black for the last time on Thornridge, a small town in Washington state surrounded by forest on the edge of the Cascades National Park where winter is fading into spring. With the apocalypse now behind you, the future stretches before you. And all of you have the next weeks and months and perhaps even years to begin to move forward from the events of your senior prom or junior prom for the juniors. Lucian, the apocalypse is over. The world isn't ending. What do you do with the rest of your life? Oh, God. So Lucian Astor needs a place to live. So he finds a very, uh, a moderately sized cabin in the woods in the edge of Thorn Ridge and buys it and starts to use the rest of the summer to furnish it um, and re-get his wardrobe back. Uh, <laughs> and this time it's a little, it's a little more gender is a fun thing. And a lot of the clothes that he ends up buying um, uh, play a little bit more with the gender binary than he did previously, but it's all still, uh, ridiculously expensive um (laughs) uh and it gets a little bit more almost a little bit more relaxed in style not really he thinks that he's relaxing in style but it's for Lucian Astor being relaxed in style is like instead of buying a $500 white button-up I buy a $500 silk printed shirt (laughs) um so (laughs) it's a lot of that but um he lives on his own and it's hard but it's good um and he spends a lot of time with uh cora um being being friends with her really treasuring that friendship spends a lot of time with star so much 
Um, I think they, this is, this is my thing. I think they go dance, they go out dancing a lot um, is, is my thing. I think, cause they're, they're like perfectly matched dance partners. <laughs> um, and I think they do a lot of, a lot of, a lot of that, like in all kinds, but they, they go out swing dancing probably. Um, if there's swing dancing in Thornridge and if it, if there isn't, then they start it. Like, <laughs> um, spends, uh, visits Cassie so much as much as possible. Um, they definitely both like, I think full moons are always a fun event now. And now he like actually looks forward to it with both Cassie and Luna and just like any of the handlings that want to join. But I think there's a lot of shenanigans that go on between just Luna, Cassie and Lucian that, that probably <laughs> a lot of, a lot of fun has had. And that's another, another thing is he, I think Lucian just spent a lot of time during the summer cultivating his like friendships and like trying to be, be the friend that he really wasn't when he needed to be. Um, so yeah, spending a lot of time with Luna Hanlon, uh, as, as much as is wolfishly possible um, and helps her bake is over all the time at the handle. It helps probably helps out with like Riley's, like if they ever need a babysitter or like um, uh, someone to give rides and do homework with, cause he's annoyingly smart. It's so frustrating. It's like he doesn't study ever and he aces everything and it's stupid. Yeah. Tess Hanlon, Luna and Riley's mom, um, like when, when the summer sort of ends and like when you sort of like get into your own cabin, uh, she like pulls you aside after dinner one night and just like tells you straight up, this is your home. If you ever need a place to come, we're always going to have our doors open for you. <sighs> uh, he doesn't cry about that. Um, <laughs> but he wants to uh but he and he definitely like leaving the Hanlon home is a really big thing for him because he like knows that living on his own is going to be good but also is like he liked having siblings <laughs> for the short time that he did so uh and he probably gives them like a really big goodbye present something ridiculous like a car or like, like something just so like gross like a new like a big nice new family van probably like that it's got like tv screens for in, in, sucks. It, in the <laughs> like it's so bad <laughs> um but yeah and then he little things about illusion because his his major big plan after that is then with caesar to go on the road trip um he's he's gonna he and caesar after the summer are gonna hit the road together and like fucking just tear it up they're gonna go all the way to the east coast and like I think the summation of that is um, his future is his own and he gets to define home for himself now. And so he's going to do that with Caesar. Um, re, he doesn't apply, but he researches colleges um, that like have good English programs and shit and probably writes to a bunch of professors really <laughs> and like asks some questions and all this shit. Um, and he starts playing piano more um, and writing songs. And I think on the first day of the road trip Lucian has a little cd of a whole album he wrote for caesar that he gives him um of of like of little of little piano songs some of them have lyrics most of them don't um and and it's and it's like just a a, a tiny little cd and then he he's been writing a 
bunch of poems, but he'll save that for the anniversary. He, he probably like studies a lot more because of no pressure of school. So like, he's probably way more academic even though he's not at school. So like Caesar will come over and he's like buried in like 5 million tomes. And Caesar's like, what the fuck dude, you don't have homework. And he's like, yeah, I don't have homework so I can look at things. <laughs> um, so that's probably what, what he ends up doing. And grows his hair out, which is major um, in, a, in a real cute way. Oh, and gets a septum piercing and like, lots more piercings and practices makeup more and probably practices makeup on Cora and Luna and star, but I don't know if star wants it. We're just a little bit on star. If when he can, when she can, Oh, that's another thing. After a long convo with Caesar, Lucian goes by he, she pronouns. So um, it's major. He has a lot of gender isms. I, he doesn't like super want to define it. All he knows, all that like really she knows is that like, she's definitely like, like she's a she's a boyfriend, <laughs> but but uses uses he she. So that's that's about it. And yeah, practice lots of practice on makeup and we're so much writing, like too much. Caesar probably try pulls him out of it a little bit because I think he might he spirals a little bit after like the the weightlessness of not having anyone around him and not like is he needs to deal with it, but it isn't easy. And I think he he can he tries not to isolate, but he almost does a little bit in that cabin. And Caesar definitely like drove there. And also Cora definitely like drove there and like opened the door and saw him sort of just like on the floor in a corner with a bunch of paper around him, like not sleeping. And we're like, we're gonna, we're gonna go do something else. <laughs> um, so it's not easy. Yeah, he, he goes to, he, the, the, the one scene I have is him going to Penny Grimm but also I know he goes to the, the what, what was the day that the prom happened? What, what day was that? Saturday. Okay. Yeah, next Thursday, because that's usually when he goes to confession. Um, he'd go to confession on Thursday. You go to confession um, for the first time since uh, your dad died. And it's uh, an empty, not busy night uh you know there's no one else here waiting so you can step into the booth um and as you begin to speak you hear father tom from behind the screen go <clears throat> i'm gonna cut you off right there <laughs> father father tom goes lucian can we can we just talk out of out of the confessional come sit with me in a pew are you refusing me the holy sacrament I want to talk to you first. Then we can do the confession if you still want to. Uh, all right, Father. And he'll step out. Yeah, Father Tom steps out. You know, this old man in a, in a you know, sort of, uh, I guess do they wear, priests wear robes and they do the confessional, right? They can. Um, yeah, I mean, he's probably it's, it's Thursday night, so they like they yeah. He's bad. like wearing the robe, but you see, he's not got any shoes on. Uh, he's dressed in like socks. I'm assuming that Lucian did not go to mass on Sunday after prom. Fuck so, no, <laughs> he uh, was with Caesar. Yeah, so you missed this. Um, but as as Father Tom sits down next to you in a pew, he turns and looks at you and says, um, "Lucian, I'm retiring." 
uh, soon, like in a couple of weeks soon. Okay. And, you know, this is a really, uh, being a priest, it was my calling. It's been my calling. And, and it has also weighed on my soul, the things, some things about this calling have. And before, before you confess to God, I, as your priest, want to say something to you, which is that I really don't want any more things disclosed to me about that or not that would get you in legal trouble, A. And B, one of God's greatest gifts to humanity was love. God's love for us and our love for each other. And the Catholic Church has been my home for over 40 years. And I would be remiss not to recognize its flaws. And I, I want you to know, Lucian, that, that what you feel, the love that you feel for other people, it's not a sin. And he you know, like pulls out a little pamphlet and like slides it to you and says, and I think you should look into um, some other church organizations that might be a bit more affirming. Lucian folds it and puts it in the inside of his blazer pocket. Um, <laughs> uh, I think Lucian stares at the tabernacle and thinks about the moments when he's felt closest to God and about how all of those times were about love and how the moments that he did feel farthest from God were the moments when he wasn't thinking about that. And I think he looks down at his hands again and looks over at Father Tom again and says, do you know if the person that the bishop is sending is um, good? Or at all or not? We got the hot goss over there from the from the from the di the diocese. Or how much of a stink did you kick up saying that you weren't going to do this job anymore? Well, uh, I'm getting on in years, so it's not that big of a of a of a deal. It was sort of coming. Everyone knew that Thornridge was my last parish, um, and the the new new guy is going to be. I've heard he's young, mm. so a win for the church ladies <laughs> uh yeah just the church ladies and then <laughs> Lucian will <laughs> um laugh to himself <laughs> and just say um thank you you are hmm kindness is a very surprising thing but I will thank you for it so he'll, I think he'll like move to stand up, uh, genuflect, and then look back at Father Tom and, and say, um, well, the season's about 
resurrection. So thank you for pulling me just a little bit more out of the tomb. And he will um, walk down the aisle, uh, look back at the tabernacle again, cross himself with holy water, and walk out. What does Lucian do after that? I mean, how how long after that do you see Benny Graham? Honestly, what are her hours? <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure that at some point I said that her store closes at six. Like there is a clip in this show of me saying her store's hours. I don't remember what they were. They're not post 8 p.m. though. Great. <laughs> <Right. laughs> then Lucian will, after that, probably like text caesar and like have a really nice surprise date and like cook him like go to the grocery like whatever the most expensive grocery store is and buy ridiculously grossly expensive shit and cook him like a like really nice lamb or something and be like it's date night i've decided um and does that and then the next day probably like um the the second that like arrives exactly on time to opening at penny grimm's (laughs) Um, yeah, Miss Penny is, uh, it's like a, you know, getting close to a week after a prom. So, you know, the snow has started to melt. It started to warm up a little bit. And Penny Grimm is in a very lovely, like, floral dress with like a little cardigan over it. Um, and she, you know, is like unlocking the front door and sees you and sort of just holds the door open for you. Uh, Lucian will walk in and as he walk in, walks in be like I love the pattern of your dress it's like really good it like matches with the color on the cardigan sorry it's it's nice <laughs> thank you uh do you drink coffee I've got a pot on in the back do you have like copious amounts of sugar uh yes uh I can dig some up great yes I do I do drink coffee yes all righty And she, like, goes into the back, comes back out with, like, two very large mugs um, that have, like, like, clearly things that, like, uh, other people have gifted to her. Like, hers, it says, like, world's best grandma on it. Um, And yours uh, is, like, one from a, a, a museum somewhere. And she sets it down in front of you and, like, you know, slides the, the sugar bowl towards you that has, like, genuine sugar cubes in it. Lucian puts about seven <laughs> in his cup. Um, uh, and then stirs and says, um, uh, I know like a lot of people who've gone to you. Um, I'm Caesar's boyfriend. Uh, I think he's been, he's been here a couple times. Uh, hi, sorry, I'm so, I'm frazzled this morning. Um, <laughs> uh, my name is Lucian Astor. Uh, it's nice to meet you and he will hold out his hand to shake Penny's hand. Yeah, she gives you a very firm handshake and says, uh, well, Lucian, um, it's good to meet you in person, officially. Um, Of course I know who you are, but um, it's nice to see you here. Yeah, uh, (laughs) yes. Um, So you know how, so what do you know about me then? Well, um, I make it my business to be acquainted with all the magical goings on of this town. And while it's hard not to take notice when there's a new wolf in the woods, 
I suppose I've not been very subtle about that. So your friends do a really good job cleaning up after you sometimes. <sighs> yes, they do. I will be atoning for that one for every single day of my life. Uh, <laughs> so sorry to the point of why I'm here. Um, do you do you do fine? I don't know how spells work. And frankly, I don't really want to know how they work because um, they're you they're not they haven't gone particularly well for me in the past. So could you just not tell me anything about how they work and then just do one that I would like to be done? Is 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 that Penny puts her like mug on the the top of the glass counter uh, in the shop and looks at you and she says, you know, I'm not going to do anything that you're not comfortable with and that you're not ready for. Not everyone's had that mindset. Um, And I'm really sorry that they haven't. You know, it, you live and you learn. <laughs> um, Lucian rubs his wrists. Um, are you, can you like, not to be crass and I'm, excuse me if I'm being, I'm very unlearned about this as I just said, whatever the equivalent of like a crystal ball look into what someone is doing from a far distance would be Remo would be great. Would be would be some would be some. I would I I would really I'd really enjoy um, mm-hmm. if if you could if that's. She holds out both her hands and says, "I'll do this for you, but I want you to give me your hands first. Lucian hold her hand and I want you Percy to tell me is Lucian ready (sighs) yeah yeah he is he might not think he is but he definitely is Penny glances behind Lucian and you hear the sound of the uh, sign of the door flipping to closed and she squeezes your hands, still warm from the coffee mug. And Penny Grimm gives you a sweet smile and just says, no matter what you see, you are still you. And nothing is going to change that. Do you need something of theirs? Because, Honey, I think that you're going to be enough. He squeezes her hands, probably involuntarily. (laughs) And you see that Penny closes her eyes. And in the next blink, Lucian is in a kitchen, in a sort of spacious home. There's a big island and granite countertops. It's early morning-ish the sun is 
shining through these like big open windows uh, in a breakfast nook. And um, you see that there's like a man in like a polo shirt and like an apron that says kiss the cook across the front uh, at the stove, like mixing, like stirring some eggs. Um, and uh, you see he turns as a woman walks into the kitchen. Um, she's in a sort of comfy looking sweater and her platinum blonde hair is pulled up in uh, a bun and she gives him a kiss on the cheek and says, morning, honey. And he says, are the girls up? And she nods and says, oh, they're coming down the stairs. You know them. And uh, he starts transferring breakfast onto four plates that the woman starts moving to the kitchen table. And it doesn't take long for two little girls to come tumbling down the stairs, blonde hair, little ribbons, pink, bright pink sparkly backpacks on their on their backs and little graphic like t-shirts that have like fairies and butterflies on them. And you see that one of them runs up to the woman and she scoops her up and twirls her around and kisses her on the nose and says, good morning. And you watch this family sit down for breakfast. Two little girls that have the same shade of hair as you and their parents who love them, getting them ready for school. Are any names ever said? You know that the husband's name is Taylor and the woman's name is Sarah. And the little girls are Annabelle and Christine, but they call her Chrissy. Does it seem like Lucian has to stop the spell or does it stop by itself? It comes to a stop as breakfast wraps up and dishes are moved to the sink and Sarah and Taylor help Anna and Chrissy get their shoes on for school as the bus pulls up outside the window. And the spell doesn't end, it changes. And you see that the scene sort of melts away like paint on a painting and you, see Sarah at a desk sort of in the evening it's clearly like a sort of craft room there's shelves with bits of paint and books and paper uh, lining the walls and a big window that looks out into a countryside and you see that she has a single lamp pointed down at what she's working on and you see that she's got a big scrapbook out in front of her um labeled our family on the front and as you're watching her work you see that she's pasting in photos of the girls photos from uh the her marriage um the girls with their grandparents and writing in little you know notes about each photo and what they meant um and you hear taylor call her down for dinner and she yells back in a minute 
and she starts putting things away, sticks her pen in a cup at her side, and she flips back through her work. And you see more photos, photos of her kids, her relationship, her parents, her own childhood. And at the very beginning, right inside the cover, is an old Polaroid of a very young Sarah in a hospital bed with a baby. And underneath it, it says, my son, Lucian. And even in the midst of all this happiness and this perfect, beautiful family, even though it seems like maybe there's no room for you, in this moment, you know that she never forgot you and she never stopped loving you. Even though it magic probably doesn't work this way after she leaves I think I'll turn off her lamp for him maybe put a pen back touch the Polaroid and turn it back to the most recent page and we'll go back to his life he definitely really embarrassingly fully breaks down in Pendigrim's shop and it's ugly gross not a pretty crier um like a lot of heaving sobs and he apologizes profusely the entire time she makes you a cup of tea for when you're done crying and gives you a very warm hug before you go doesn't say anything just hugs you Yep. Okay. I'm I'm pretty much done. I just want to leave on the last, I think the last final window vignette. Oh God. <laughs> of Lucian is them finally in those fucking Firefly Hills in a little um, cabin, but they're like sleeping outside, like on the porch or something. And he's like, probably like you know like almost naked in this like and under the stars with with caesar and he's just probably smoking holding on to him and as they watch this the dusk sort of rise um it's he didn't it took them a while to get to virginia and fireflies are a summer thing but maybe just the last one of the season just sort of floats by and Lucian hands whatever he's smoking over to Caesar and catches it and then watches it as it walks up his hand and just looks over at Caesar and smiles. <laughs> I'm home. <laughs> and I think that's it. Well, Caesar, what do the next weeks and months hold for you <sighs> okay um first of all uh excuse the language but he starts being cuntier like he he you know he he stops 
needing to put on this like affable charming mask like he doesn't he doesn't need to please everyone he doesn't want to please everyone anymore you know if he doesn't like you he's gonna be a bitch about it sorry oh well um he gets some rest he learns to rest he learns to take time to rest he learns rest is important just as important as anything else he might accomplish he learns to let himself cry actually cry like good cathartic like sobs in private because before he even in private he wouldn't let himself break down that much it was too it was too much it was too weak but you know eventually he learns that it's it's not and it's okay and he can break down in private and you know even in front of people sometimes i think uh eventually he does stop smoking cigarettes but he starts smoking weed because i think i think he deserves it uh he grows out his hair his like lovely curls um, eventually, I think he starts dressing a little more gender non-conforming. Like he's very, he's he's always been very secure in his gender identity. Like he is a man, but you know, just just for fun, just for fun, like he'd look cute. You know, he's he's got his like fishnets and leather skirts moments, and you know, also he stops dressing so uptight sometimes. You know, when he's relaxing, like. If he's just like at his place or at Lucian's place, he can wear some like fucking sweats and a hoodie sometimes. Eventually he gets uh, a little tattoo of a snake around his left wrist because he's left-handed. It's not like an Ouroboros, but it's just like curling around his forearm and his wrist. Um, I think he gets a few like new piercings, like his ears were pierced, but I think he gets a few new piercings um eyebrow piercing for sure maybe snake bites I don't know but eyebrow piercing for sure I think he gets glasses just because I think it would be a cute look for him and then I think he stops pushing himself to socialize constantly at big events with people he doesn't even like um and he lets himself be a little bit in introverted um especially when he moves out and home becomes a thing that he doesn't dread going back to. He can allow himself to just stay in sometimes. But also he does still go to parties and with Lucian and they work the room and they are socialites. And so those are things that just happen gradually, no specific timeline. But things that happen immediately post-climax and in the summer, he declines his acceptance to UW because he doesn't want to go there for multiple reasons. Um, I think he defers his acceptance to Whitman College for the next year because he's taking a gap year, um, but it's just a placeholder. I think him and Lucian end up going to the same college anyways, somewhere with a good humanities department because he will be majoring in history. After AP exams are over, he finds Cassie and he asks them to cut school with them and they skip school and they crush it at DDR at Blissopolis. I think um, also in the summer, he hangs out with Eden because that's his best fucking friend. And um, 
he doesn't want Eden to ever feel like he's forgotten about them. He loves her. Question for Catherine. Is Caesar, does Caesar have to give a speech at graduation? Yeah. Oh, is he, is he valedictorian or salutatorian? That's a question for you, my guy. <laughs> uh, Reyna was valedictorian. Indeed. Okay. I'll, uh, we'll be twinsies. Yeah. Uh, he'll be valedictorian. So before graduation, he separately, but he tries to contact his parents and um, I think he uh, rewrites the message several times trying to figure out you know what he should say and I think in the end he just tells them like hey this is the date of my graduation I'll be giving a speech so my question is does he get a response yes I think that your your parents are uh, not together anymore, um, but uh, both of them say that they will attend your graduation if that's what you want. Um, they show up and it's a little awkward with your family sitting in like three separate sections of the auditorium um but they're there and your dad especially is very hesitant about things about approaching you about like but like we'll let so he's letting you sort of take the lead and if you want him there, if you want him to talk, if you want to talk to him, he'll talk to you. Your mom is a little bit more um, assertive. She comes to your graduation and she gives you like one of those side hugs, like squeeze things um, while you're there. Uh, she sticks around and takes you to lunch and does not step a foot into the house. But I think the most important thing is that your mother does something that few people in your family do, which is that she apologizes. She knows that it's not enough, but she's your mother and she wants what she can have with you. Yeah whoa honestly i didn't expect either of them to answer so i'm processing that and i think caesar also didn't expect them to answer so he will also be processing that um you know i, I think for now in this epilogue i think i can i can i can just say that that um that shit takes time to heal um caesar is not at an emotional place where he is ready to rekindle those relationships right now but you know maybe we'll see but maybe we'll see um 
other things that happened after in that summer um he starts playing piano with brianna again and um he knows he hasn't been the best brother i think he 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 vacillated a lot between um maybe being distant out of resentment towards her and out of thinking that that would protect her or shield her in some way and you know maybe he was overly critical because I think that's also how he'd grown to conceptualize love but you know he's healing and he wants to be a better brother to her and so he starts playing with her again you know if she'll have him and you know he tries to talk to her and hopes that she is not as ashamed of herself as he grew up being and if she is then he's there to talk because he gets it and i think in playing piano with her um he starts to relearn that some things can just be fun and he doesn't need to be the best at them at some point probably in the summer i think he shows lucian his true form the snake form and um i think the transformation is not uh pretty or graceful really it's kind of weird maybe kind of gross um and it's also kind of maybe weird and gross when he unshifts and he definitely sobs because this is not something he has done in years but he felt it was an important part of himself to show Lucian and um, I do think despite all that I think it's safe to say that afterwards Lucian still looks at him like he's beautiful and like he loves him also in the summer he tells Lucian um, fully the uh the important parts about his relationship with Caleb and the important parts about his relationship with other boys in the past. And I think he eventually opens up to Lucian about his own relationship with his parents. And um, he lets himself feel grief about all of those things. And in this explanation, um, it's an explanation that's meant as sort of an apology. Um, it's an explanation that talks about, you know, explains why he was so afraid and hesitant about starting a relationship with him and why it took him a while to say, I love you, and why he took it so badly when Lucian walked out without saying goodbye. And over that summer, he tells his grandmother that he is not 
going into politics. And uh, maybe that's something that takes several conversations, you know, I don't know. Um, but he, he's firm about it. And he, he, it's, he has to learn that walking away from something that makes him deeply unhappy is not failure. And, you know, even if she's disappointed, he's his own person and it's his life and he can learn to live with that disappointment. And even if she's disappointed, that doesn't mean that relationship can't heal either. You know, he does everything to make sure that when he leaves and abandons that life, that it also does not just fall to his younger sister instead. Also, um, hopefully he doesn't get cut off, like financially. I don't think so. Guadalupe is hard to convince, but I think that Caesar putting his foot down and being assertive and taking ownership of his life is, I guess, a moment that 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 Guadalupe can't ignore. And she does not cut him off, though she probably does restrict a little bit of the allowance. Um, and there is a stipulation that you must go to college. Great. Well, that's fine. He'll just say he, he will be taking gap year, but he definitely plans on going to college. I think also maybe during that gap year, maybe during college, I do think his mental health gets um, a little bit worse before it gets better. I think he gets hit with worsened anxiety once he's out of this very high stress environment and also that he's not like constantly on the move, like on the road trip. And, you know, it doesn't feel fair because he should be better now, but that's part of the healing process. And after that slump, it does get better. And he does start really healing from a lot of things. Also, because he gets, he gets therapy. He gets therapy, especially for um, his anxiety, among other things. Ideally, I would like him to have a therapist that knows about the supernatural and can like help him work through the sort of like bad dysphoric feelings he has about like his snake form. And also so he can talk about some of the shit that he's gone through that is supernatural related. Eventually he does get comfortable enough in his snake form that he can just lounge in the sun as a snake and i think it's i think it's very nice and i think it's calming he learns or maybe relearns how to nurture and love gently i think he gets plants and i think he gets like a tiny pet snake and i think he learns how to do maybe a little bit of handiwork to patch up small things around the house with care and he cuts up fruit for people not as like a substitute for an apology but just because he wants to do it and because he loves the people in his life and then lastly uh caesar has always been charismatic and a good leader so i think when he grows older he definitely works as or does work, does activism work 
and he works in community organization. And I think especially something that's important to him is to work with a program that helps out LGBT youth and gives them safe places to go when home is toxic or unsafe. Because he and a lot of people didn't have anywhere else to go that wasn't school when home was toxic or unsafe. And because he's learning how to nurture and love gently, he wants to give these people, these kids, um, good places to go. Eden, what do the next couple of weeks, couple of months look like for you? In a general sense, looking at this story, story about, all about breaking cycles and healing old wounds. Some cycles never actually get broken, at least not initially. I don't think Eden's story here is one about a cutting of a chain. It's more about a fraying of a knot, about how the events of what happened here eventually build into him breaking his own proverbial knots. In the coming weeks, of course, Eden goes back to routine. Eden desperately needs something to hold on to when <laughs> she literally just helped save the world. And they fall back into, slowly back into school. AP exams come up, finals come up, and it's more of the same, but even in its similarity, there's differences. Because there are memories that he's had, connections that he's made that have made these next coming weeks actually something to look forward to. With that, I think Eden would absolutely still keep in contact with Starfire 100%. Not even just to like train, but just, just to be friends, you know, no favors, <laughs> just, just friends. Obviously is going to stay friends with Caesar because who else understands him like Caesar does. She absolutely stays in touch with Justin and Eli, even Chris. Also, like in, in the next year, probably seeks out Penny Grimm a little bit more often, maybe even like talks to Starfire and Morgan, just like properly gets the full story about all of the supernatural shit that's going on. And for the next weeks, months, years, even if they do break up, Eden will never stop loving Cassie. And even if they do break up, they <laughs> remain best of friends. But 
in at least within the future Eden's a junior this year next year senior year passes by really quickly and even though Eden likes to think about being someone so terribly different than Stephanie Chaplin he hesitates on deciding where to go next because it takes him a while to realize that the pressure that's been placed upon him through his family through himself is something too great to bear and too great to pass on I think I don't know when this will be maybe in the next year maybe just before uh spring rolls into summer this year but I think they'd be like after school ends finally sitting down at the dinner table together uh for once because Eden spent the majority of the last three months either with Cassie or saving the goddamn world or even just avoiding them. But there's no use running anymore. Mom? Dad? I don't, I don't know if this is right for me. What? Your parents are like on the couch sitting next to each other, like both having gotten off of work. And and your mom just sort of like looks confused. Just there's, there's so much. I I feel like I'm spread too thin. Your mom sort of sighs and just says, What is too much for you? It pains me to say this all this expectation that I'm going to be someone good too afraid to fuck up your mom sighs and she gets up to sit next to you and just pats your shoulder and sort of like brings your head to like lean on her and just says Mishko we love you and We give you expectation because we see what you're capable of, and we know that you are so talented and intelligent, and you have so many opportunities here. What if I crack? What if it's too much? Your father and I don't know your ex- your limitations we don't know what is too much for you only if you tell us will we know and if it is too much for you we will help you that is what we are here for I don't know just last year I thought I was in over my head I was. 
I want to just be the smart kid. Your mom strokes your hair and just says, Your father and I know that you are more than just the smart kid. You are funny and a good cook and a good sibling when you have the time to drive your brother around. And you are a good partner. And you have a wide and open future and a great and bright future ahead of you. And we love you. And your dad like puts his hand on your other shoulder. No matter what you choose to do with that future. What if I choose to leave? What if I didn't want to do computer science? Eden, I barely know what computer science is. We want you to be happy and successful. And we want you to have a life that is better and easier than ours growing up. And computer science seems like it is a path to helping that happen. But there are more paths to happiness and success than one thing. And if you need time, we can give you time. Your sister is 23 and she's still in the house. We can give you time. Thank you. Thank you. Your mom hugs you. I love you. I love you too. And your parents make an effort to be more accommodating, more thoughtful about how they talk to you about school and your future plans. They still, like, what they want for you is happiness. And to them, that means that you will be successful and will not have to worry about money and conflicts and that never really goes away but they want you to find that happiness however you choose to find it and they're willing to be supportive of whatever you decide to do i think it's through that kind of acceptance a little bit that eden actually feels into what he originally set out to do, which was graduate. I think he lets himself get a B. No, just the one. (laughs) See what it's like. And eventually in the spring of next year, he accepts an offer to go to University of Toronto. He leaves this godforsaken town. He he unlearns having these expectations on himself. He still sets goals. He still set he still has accomplishments. But he'll get to them when he gets to them. Doesn't all need to happen one after the other.
Eden just takes his time and enjoys it. That's it. <laughs> Sylvia. Yes. So the apocalypse didn't happen. But the curse is broken. It's a wide world. You're a free snake person. What do you choose to do in the next couple of weeks, months after prom? In the next couple of weeks, we are spending time with Stephanie and figuring out how to visit mom and dad. And then realizing we have to do something with our life now. <laughs> so I think Sylvia is going to get a, try and get a job at Carl's Antique Store. Because that's really the only place they know. And also, I could imagine Sylvia working there and not hating every second of it. Whereas anywhere else, Sylvia would just get fired in two days. I think at one visit with their mom, they would basically just tell their mom that they don't know what they're going to do. But she thinks she could almost like rebuild the family business in a legal business like start her own family business what who knows she doesn't know but they'll work on that a real goal would be for sylvia's dad to not be in jail and find a way for that to happen there's no hope for sylvia's mom <laughs> uh actually i have something in mind for this which is that um because i remember that you mentioned that sylvia would talk to cora at some point and cora um is in the midst of her own turmoil with her family but her dad is a lawyer and their family owes your family a favor on account of at least trying to help them with the apocalypse (laughs) um we and, hold up our end of the deal <laughs> you guys yeah, are the ones like, that failed <laughs> yeah so Cora like convinces her dad to like uphold yeah like just sort of like make good on you know the favor that they owe to the Strisiantes and uh yeah it is a total lost cause for for Cynthia but um uh Simon Mitchell helps like helps you Sylvia get your dad out of jail which um a good enough plea deal and some snitching on the family business which I mean might as well do since it's going down anyway uh your dad gets out of jail um and uh is able he's able to like get access to um some money like money that he has like squirreled away because all the Strisciante accounts and all their shit is being shut the fuck down but um he gets access to some money that he's had on the side apparently and um finds a place for the two of you to live so that uh in Thornridge or anywhere else really if you want uh, to finish high school I think for now Sylvia will want it to be in Thornridge. However, knowing plans Saffron has for Stephanie, I think after that, Sylvia might be down to move. That's kind of it, though. Yeah, I mean, 
you have a senior year and your dad is back and there's depositions and trials and witness stands that you have to go to um, because your family is in the middle of a lot of trouble, but your dad is there and your mom goes to jail not for as long as maybe that sentence could have been uh but we all know how uh these things tend to work so mm, she'll be away for a while and in the meantime well the world is a wide open place i think sylvia's gonna be doing a lot of sort of soul searching almost of what do i actually enjoy doing you've got time to find it yeah well that brings us to stephanie chaplin oh boy okay um i will try to keep this short first off as the weather gets warmer um stephanie starts wearing more flowy outfits loose shirts and sundresses and still pinks and florals but loose and a little bit witchy um her earring collection also gets a lot more eclectic and i think she starts um trying out different kinds of jewelry and wearing lots of necklaces and she's spending a lot of time with penny grim if penny will have her um she wants to learn about magic but not magic in a way that's just some spell that she finds online that she tries out for fun and for power she knows it's real now it's truly real and she knows the depth of the consequences that it can have and she wants to understand that she wants to know where it comes from she wants to read about history of magic she wants to connect to nature i think as it starts to warm up stephanie likes going outside she likes hikes and um she starts going on more morning runs and connecting with her body and connecting with nature and and, and trying to understand magic through that she also asks her mom if she can get a therapist um and i think uh stephanie chaplin in therapy maybe spends the first year trying to actually convince her therapist that no she's perfectly fine everything's fine let's just make small talk um but eventually it starts to work and she starts working through shit and she starts trying to work to communicate her feelings and not to compare herself to everyone else and to forgive herself and to love herself. It's never been stated directly, but it's kind of been implied. Stephanie Chaplin has an eating disorder, and I think she actually 
maybe a year or two into college, she actually takes a gap year or takes a semester off and um, goes to a residential facility to help treat that. I think that would be really good for her. And she gets an emotional support cat, a little black kitty uh, with mostly black, but white paws and a white bib whom she names Muffy after the Arthur character because this bitch was raised on PBS and look, Muffy's a classic main girl. <laughs> I think as part of like Stephanie's emotional journey, um, as someone who's like worried about what other people think of her for so long, it's actually good for her not to have labels and not to put a label on her sexuality. Um, I think she needs, she can breathe in just being free. She tells people she's gay. Um, she kisses anyone she feels like it, who obviously want to kiss her back. Um, she covers her room in pinks and purples and blues. Um, she cuts her hair in a bisexual bob, super short, <laughs> and she gets a tattoo of a rose on her hip. She's no longer a bud. She's blooming. Um, as for college, she accepts at UC Santa Cruz. And that does mean going out of Thornridge. And that means that she and Sylvia need to talk. Stephanie really cares about Sylvia. But Stephanie is someone who hadn't understood, hasn't understood how she feels about people for so long. She hasn't let herself feel feelings for people in so long. Stephanie Chaplin needs to go to parties. She needs to make out with strangers. She goes home with random people. She has messy hookups, breakups, learning experience, and she's gonna cry. She's a messy ass gay woman in college. <laughs> Maybe she's just like, let's, let's just be open. Stephanie is literally the only friend Sylvia has. Um, so yeah, Sylvia would not like the idea of an open relationship, is very possessive of Stephanie, and so that would not be, it would be like, break up or stay together and I move with you. Did um, they have a messy breakup? Yeah. <laughs> So that's, I think that's just like after conversations, it's the like, okay, like I get it. This is what you have to do. I'm just going to go be really sad. I think they have, I think they have some fights where like Stephanie thinks that she's like, like, I think I'm explaining myself here. Like, why don't you understand? And it's Stephanie, babe, you're just the one who's not understanding Sylvia. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that feels right. I feel like, I don't know, man. I think their relationship is a mess. I think they're on and off together. Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. 
I think we'll leave it up in the air whether Stephanie and Sylvia ever are serious again. It like Stephanie needs to get to this deep like love of herself to then be able to deeply love other people and deeply love Sylvia for who Sylvia is and not for who Sylvia means to Stephanie. Anyway, speaking of the other person that Stephanie loves, Cassie is always going to be Stephanie's best friend. And after trying and holding on to old memories for so long, now Stephanie's just focused on making new ones with Cassie. Small things, you know, learning new spells from Penny Grimm, the fun spells, kind spells. Take some stargazing and keep saying I love you. So it's no longer a surprise to either of them. She also stays in touch with Caleb because that's her fucking, that's her bestie. Caleb and Stephanie, she is being friends with him. They are gonna watch movies together. And when she goes to college, she's gonna find ways for them to continue to watch movies virtually together. <laughs> There's one person she wants to talk to. One person she tries reaching out to that has, um, but I have a question first for Dia. Does Cassie end up on the softball team? Audio podcast, so yes, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Stephanie is definitely going to those games. Oh my God, cheering Cassie and Starfire, I guess, and Cora, mostly Cassie. But, um, is, does Lucia go to those games? Um, absolutely. He will be at every single softball game, unless track is scheduled <laughs> during a softball game. He will be at every one, yes. From start to finish. Oh God, is Caesar? Does Caesar go too? I was gonna say you can do this scene. He will be trying to explode <laughs> you with his mind. Stephanie wants to find Lucian when Lucian's alone. Lu Lucian will. Lucian will be at every one, but I don't think Caesar goes to every single one. Lucian yeah, will. Be sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be able to catch Lucian on a day where, where like you know. It's 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 a far away game or something, and Caesar's like, "I love you, babe. I'm not fucking going to that game." Stephanie does not try to talk to Caesar because she thinks that what I don't know. <laughs> he ended that <laughs> that friendship is gone, and so she's too scared to reach out to him. But she always thought Lucian and her was honest with her always honest with her and she is gonna find him one of these softball games and just kind of like taps him slight uh softly on the shoulder he will turn to look at her uh can i sit here i don't know can you well, you didn't break my legs, so... She sits down next to him. 
you're here uh, cheering on Cassie, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did she ever tell you about us? Uh, no. Really, all he ever said was that you two used to be friends, and then you weren't anymore. And I know how kind of a person Cassie is, so I assumed the worst, and I was right. <laughs> Did you ever stop loving him? Where am I right now? Here. At this game. Mm -hmm. And I've been at every single softball game since they got on the team. No. Cassie's not a person you ever stop loving. How do you make it look so easy? Oh. <laughs> it is so strange how we <laughs> have the same problems. <laughs> um. <laughs> I guess we kind of do. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't know that I make it look easy. <laughs> uh, you, you, I, I think I just read as an asshole, which is true. But if, but you're not around when Cassie and I go fight monsters, um, and I uh, don't, and so like Starfire and 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 like Cassie, they, it's pretty damn obvious what. <laughs> You just learn to live with this feeling that you love someone so deeply and you can just never be with them. I'd say it's more like you love someone so deeply and you can be with them, just maybe not in the way that... What I'm saying is you can still spend time with someone you love that much. Just not... Just because you're not there partner or girlfriend or doesn't mean that you can't still spend time with that person. It's not all or nothing. I mean, I say that I, you know, didn't follow that, that advice for a while, but it's, it's So what true. changed? I pulled my head out of my ass a little bit. The world almost ended. I, I realize that there are things that are more important than isolating yourself because you're arrogant. Um, God, you am I no really taking all. advice from you? Hey, motherfucker, you asked for advice. I know! <laughs> I also don't know that I'm the, the necessary... I don't have... I'm not a great advice guy. I sort of am just... <laughs> I've made most of the wrong decisions most <laughs> of the time. Um, you, so I, yeah, I'm on. I kind of am very confused as to why you're asking me so much about this. I suppose it's because I'm kind of the only other person who has this lived experience, but it is fascinating. <laughs> I just felt so alone on so many things. And there's just so many people that I've lost for my life. I don't need you back in it. 
barely in in the first place. It's just, I guess I just thought it would feel nice to, to share something. Chaplain, I've learned a lot of shit. One of those being, I don't really like the taste of revenge all that much. Turns out it doesn't taste that good. And, um, yeah, I don't know about being in each other's lives all that much. I don't even know what that means. But, but I think what I, I, like, I, I suppose that what I would like to leave you, I don't know, to say to you is that we both are so, <laughs> so extreme as people and, and that's why I, I, I think both of us sort of didn't hold back in any way in regards to each other, which led to a lot of um, pain, pain <laughs> that me now would, I think, rather not have been there. Um, and I don't like pain and I don't like people who like giving pain, which is why I didn't like you for so long. But I sort of just did the same shit to you. So, sorry doesn't feel like, I don't know, a word, but I, I don't like pain and I don't like, I don't like it. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm done. I'm someone who's done with it, uh, as a, as a, as a, as a concept. Um, so I don't want you to have any more pain, I would say. At least not for me. Thank you. And I, um... Probably wouldn't have said it in that many words, but... <laughs> I'm sorry, too. And, um, I have a question for Catherine. I remember there was that spell that Penny did when... Caesar had the um, like zombie bites that was like a healing spell. Mm -hmm. Could Stephanie have learned that spell from Penny? Yeah, absolutely. Stephanie holds out her hands and says, I don't know this if this would do anything, but maybe it's just for the metaphor of it all. Would you give me your wrists? Lucian will look at the pitch and see Cassie. I won't describe it because I don't know shit about softball. Doing something real cool down there. And then think about the amount of love that Cassie has for this person. And about healing. He will put his wrists out to Stephanie. Wordlessly. She will cast the healing spell. God, I really want you to roll. <laughs> I don't know what the mechanics of the spell are, but sure um, I can roll. Well, yeah, I mean roll roll with the the the, the witch move for, for casting hexes. Okay. Ooh. Potentially the last roll of this campaign. Oh. Final roll is a fail. Um, because I <laughs> give a fuck 
fucking yes. string or some shit you can do. I have strings on. I stuff. have a string on Lucian. That's part of what this whole thing was, but it's still a six. I have a string on Stephanie. Does that do anything? Do you want this to work? Yes. Oh. Oh. <laughs> um. I think he. Well, because they're already kind of scarring. So I think as the magic goes in, I don't think just because the spell doesn't work doesn't mean that the gesture doesn't work. And I think as the spell um, clearly attempts and like he can see that there's magic trying to be done there, I think he he pulls his, his hands back, looks at his wrists again and says, thank you. Um, but some wounds need time but thank you and I can't speak for anyone else in my life but um, and he will like take his silly little fucking notepad out of his pocket um, and write his current uh, his new cabin address on it and tear it out and write, sign his name Lucian Astor on it um, and give it to Stephanie and say you ever want to write me a letter? I'm getting to letter writing these days. Um, you can pop by, but most likely Caesar will be there. So do with that information what you will, but I am never opposed to receiving letters from people. Um, you will have to deal with like a 30 page response though. Uh... I like the sound of letters. Guess what we just need is time, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Stephanie, I I hope go live a fucking life, girl. Like go 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 do, find go to college. Find friends, start over. Please. Cuz you can do it. You're if you try, you are very likable. You have a lot going for you. I just, I here is maybe not the best place to do it. <laughs> Did you just say I'm likable? Yeah, yeah, I did. If you, if you recall, there was a summer this past summer. You are very likable. <laughs> oh, I thought you never thought about that moment ever again. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was lying. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the rest of the game. Yes, I will. I'll write you a letter. Good. Fuck off, Chaplin. <laughs> and Lucian will stand back up and start cheering the fucking game and go, Go, Cassie! And I guess Stephanie lives her life. And I don't think it's always easy because she's used to being the center of attention, and then she goes to a college where she doesn't know anybody. Yeah, sometimes she's incredibly lonely. Sometimes she wakes up from nightmares of wolf claws and snow, and she's terrified of growing up and being left alone, and she's not used to feeling all her emotions, and sometimes they overwhelm her, and she has all this love inside of her, and she doesn't know what to do with it, and she still thinks that she can just, like, cast a spell and say one apology and it fixes everything but eventually she does grow up 
she learns to believe that when the people in her life say that they love her, they mean it. And she learns she doesn't need to be perfect. And she tries to unlearn that deep unrooted perfectionism, but you know, and her future isn't set in stone. But um, if you want to imagine Stephanie Chaplin in the future, then you can picture her in a small apartment off the beach in Southern California, her cat asleep on the windowsill, and she's studying biology with an understanding of magic. She's trying to learn ways to help heal people. And that's that. Cassie, been talking a lot about you. So it's only fair that it's your turn. Yep, yep, okay. Okay. Cassie is not a guy who changes a lot, I don't think. I think when it comes to college, he he takes a gap year. Um, he's never really been all that excited about academia, and he probably just barely graduates with enough good grades and uh, just like enough absences that he can graduate. Um, he just spends his year, probably takes another gap year, he's not in any rush, um, just taking any kind of odd job around Thornridge that he can. Um, but mostly his summer is therapy. Um, he never, he doesn't find a therapist that understands the supernatural because that was never really the part he had an issue with. Um, he starts to learn how to deal with and starts to better deal with the hair trigger that is his that is mentions of his turning and that night and the feelings afterwards. He misses, he would never admit this to Lucian or to Starfire, but he does sometimes miss the routine of fighting and listening to the scanner and getting to know that every at least once every week he would get to go with his friends and be in mortal danger for a little bit but then they'd get milkshakes afterwards and patch up in the diner's bathroom he never shakes the habit of listening to police scanners i think when nights get long and it it's gets hard to keep himself centered and present he turns on the police scanner and listens to the static and goes out late at night to chop wood. He joins the softball team. Um, I don't know shit about sports, so I can't say any details, but he gets on it and he enjoys it and he's having fun. So that's something. He also spends that summer just existing with his friends, making up for lost time when they were very worried about the apocalypse and um, the entire world ending. He takes Eden on very long 
dates. Mostly it's just sleeping over at one or the other's houses and Cassie bakes him breakfast in bed and they watch movies until it's very, very, very late. And he never stops caring about Eden or wanting the best for them. Eventually he does tell Lucian the whole story about Stephanie and what happened. I like to think it's either the summer directly after Ragnarok or just one of the summers eventually after. It's the anniversary of the day that he was going to run away with Stephanie and he's smoking with Lucian in the woods. He tells him the story and it's it takes maybe longer than Cassie would hope for the him to say it but he does say it. He spends time with everyone as much as they are willing to deal with him. Um, he also talks to his brother. He talks to Sebastian before Sebastian makes his way out of Thornridge because he was always going to. I think he goes up to him just maybe a couple of days before Sebastian's flight is scheduled and sits next to him for like a, a very long, quiet silence before speaking up. I don't, I didn't realize how much you cared until I got back um, that Tuesday morning and you were screaming at me in the foyer of the house for not picking up your calls. I think I just got so used to you being gone, meaning that you didn't care or love me as much as I thought you did when it was just us and Armando and Mercedes were off doing their own thing. And, um, you know, something we were talking about in therapy is um, working on those memories of the few weeks after that attack in the woods, make, making them clearer. And something I remembered recently was waking up in that blinding hospital room and seeing you there for the first time <laughs> in years passed out in one of those really uncomfortable looking chairs with one of your stupid long books in your lap. I guess um, I wanna say um, sorry for worrying you so much. He smiles, sort of teary-eyed and in a very parent-like gesture smooths your hair back from your forehead and says, I remember when you were born and mom and dad brought you home and put this little crying baby in my arms and told me that no matter what, 
I had to look out for you. And I, and I did that until I was 18. I was your parent when they couldn't be and they weren't. And I, I want you to know that I, I left and I wished I could have taken you with me, but I needed to be myself. And I needed to figure out who I was as a person instead of the 18 year old parent that I had turned into. I will come back for you always, always. I don't think Cassie says anything. I think he just leans forward and wraps his big brother in a hug. Sebastian hugs you back and texts you the address of his new apartment in Boston. And it's like, if you ever are in town. There's a lot, I think there's a lot of voice calls and video calls um, for them. I think they do a lot of Skyping. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, another thing Cassie does, uh, I think this is probably the week or like a couple of weeks after prom. He, it's, you know, for fun, it's Saturday night. Um, a little bit late, not too late that he thinks he would wake anybody up, but Cassie goes and he, he walks himself over to the Hamlin house. He doesn't make himself known until he goes up to the door and he leaves just a box. It's just a package, maybe the length of an arm, um, on Luna's doorstep and a bouquet of flowers on top of it and a little flower, I mean, a little uh, letter tucked into the flowers. And he rings the doorbell and there's a flash of fur and he's gone into the woods. And when the package and the flowers and the letter are brought inside, what Luna would see is it's a box of snickerdoodles. You can tell they're homemade because they're a little bit like big and you can see where Cassie tried to, with a toothpick, tried to separate the sugar, the snickerdoodles because they spread out a little bit too much because he used too much butter. But it's a box of snickerdoodles and the flowers are fresh. And the letter is a bit messy. Um, she could tell that it's been crumpled multiple times. And there are things where... Uh, there are bits where words, entire words and sentences are scribbled out with black pen, but he does, uh, what she does see is um, just the, the only coherent sentences are at the bottom. And it says, don't worry, the cookies are just cookies. No string or poison attached. I just needed to apologize for everything somehow. Thank you for coming that night to help the, keep the world running a little longer. And thank you for being my friend. You're pretty cool, Hanlon. Signed, Cassie. And there's a lot of cookies in that box because 
once upon a time in a very, very, very cold December, he promised uh, Julia when he went to go meet her. And when he found out that he, that she was dating Al in her apartment, he very awkwardly told Julia that he would bring her cookies to make up for her finding him bleeding out on the street. And so I guess in a roundabout way, he did do that eventually. Post high school in the far future, it's a little muddier. There's not as much like concrete for him, but I do think that eventually he goes to college. Um, wherever has a good psychology program, he interns at a therapy pra uh, therapist practice somewhere, probably still in Washington, that focuses primarily in treating PTSD. Um, he works with, you know, diagnosed veterans and anybody um, diagnosed with the condition. And he, there, he finds out he's pretty good with kids. Not something he would have expected, but, you know, when it's just something he finds that he's good at. Um, he starts testosterone eventually. I'm not sure he does anything else besides that. I think he still goes by Cassie and uses whatever pronouns people feel like using in the moment. Um, and he never really leaves Washington because to him, that is his home, that's his territory. And I don't think he would be able to separate from it for very long, but he does go on trips. He goes to see Sebastian. He goes to see Stephanie if she will let him sneak into her apartment. Um, oh, that bitch is sneaking people in all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but the future keeps getting blurrier the longer um, and more clouded the longer I try to think about what he does with the rest of his life. But to just leave this, uh, I think the last thing that is clear is he's maybe in his mid thirties. He's got long hair and scruff that is pronounced, you can see it. And he's hunched over a little laptop in his apartment and his, his puppy is barking in a corner in a room somewhere. And on the laptop, it's cracked because he's kind of lost some of the grace he used to have when he was a teenager. Uh, on the screen, there are the preliminary forms to be eligible for fostering kids. And that's where he leaves off. Last, and certainly not least, Mackenzie Starfire Miller. What is your ending like? Starfire has always loved deeply and boundlessly, and she finally, finally lets herself when she gets home from the diner, she hugs Carolyn like she did when she was seven years old, around the back, like she's her sister. Uh, she stays the night with Cora, I think, and cups her face in her hands and holds her very close the whole night. She changes her name legally to Mackenzie Starfire Miller. She doesn't go exclusively by Star, but she embraces it as a nickname more wholeheartedly. She also uses Mackenzie sometimes. 
Carolyn starts to use Star or Starfire, but she also starts calling her Zia and Kenzie again, names that she used when they were younger. She plays some freaking softball. Cassie joins the softball team. She and Cora and Cassie have the time of their freaking lives. Uh, she and Cora are very obnoxious softball girlfriends because they deserve it. Uh, she goes on lots of dates with Cora. She takes her stargazing. They go on a picnic. She brings her flowers one day that are horribly cut from a garden that does not belong to Starfire, but you know, like flowers on the side of a road somewhere. <laughs> Maybe they have their makeup prom someday. She spends time with Morgan, uh, introduces Morgan to Cora, and makes sure that Morgan is brought back into the family and stays, stays a part of it and stays connected. She cheers for everybody at graduation very much for Cassie and Lucian, for Caesar, for Stephanie. And she imagines the spell that Stephanie had cast showing her that moment. And though Stephanie Chaplin will never quite make sense to her, she's glad that Stephanie will have a new beginning. Uh, sometime over the summer, she sends Caesar a Snapchat of just her face and a raised eyebrow, like, and with a little caption that says, hey, so, period, our siblings, period, we gotta talk sometime, period, and I'm sure that becomes an eventual conversation and wild, wild little connection point. Um, losing Cassie and Lucian the next year at school is very, very hard for her, uh, but she visits them all the time. She really, really misses weekly excursions into the woods even though she's glad that they don't have to go through mortal peril on a you know every other Tuesday basis uh, but she never stops loving them she becomes friends with Luna Hanlon the next year they spend a lot of time together I think they get along very well she spends lots of times time with Eden uh, they keep doing self-defense together I think but Starfire also just spends time with her and bothers her at school and is a bit of a nuisance. <laughs> and at some point, Starfire invites Eden over, maybe, you know, extended Chosen Squad goodnight where they're all hanging out, sleeping over with blankets and gives Eden a magic information PowerPoint. And it is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> she also makes an attempt to talk to Sylvia the next year. Uh, competes with her, com uh, competes with her during track, bugs them, bothers them, is a little bitch every time she runs faster than Sylvia does, uh, but plays into that competitiveness because it's not the apocalypse anymore. It's the four by 100 and they get to be kids about it. Uh, at some point, I think Starfire recruits Lou Caesar and Cassie Eden and Cora to go on a race through the forest if Cassie and Lucian are comfortable turning into wolf form and allowing the other two to ride on their back. And Starfire uses the strange impressions magic that she saved from Stephanie to throw some harmless but jarring, maybe small little illusory obstacles. It's not such that they get hurt, but such that Cassie and Eden and Starfire absolutely win. <laughs> she goes to therapy at some point. Uh, kind of takes a page out of some other people in her life's book. Uh, I think she struggles with it a little bit at first, but 
she gets there and she tries and she puts in the work and it helps. Uh, she changes her hair and her look a little bit. She plays around with her hair quite a bit, actually. Uh, she cuts her hair short at one point, then she lets it grow out and lets Cora braid it for a little while. Uh, the purple dye kind of grows out to the edges. The natural blonde comes back in a bit. Uh, she starts wearing more like sweatpants and like bras and short tank or like tank toppy things and oversized hoodie looks just comfortable and chilling a little bit less I need everyone to think I'm going to hurt them all of the time um, she gets tattoos she gets uh wings on her back stylized to look like the ones in Morgan's storybook and a chain around her right arm with one link broken right below her palm she melts down the plaque in her basement with the prophecy written onto it and makes a pot out of it. She plants a tree. She makes necklaces during, or maybe charms less than necklaces, uh, during the remainder of auto repair class when she has a free moment. Uh, and at some point, I think she and Cassie and Lucian are sitting on top of a roof of some variety that they're not supposed to be on. Uh, and at some point she leans over to Lucian and goes, point one, and presses a little charm into his hands and says, and point two, thank you for everything. The universe is better for having had you in it. And then she turns to Cassie and presses a little charm in his hand and says, love you, Meridian. I finally thought and when they look at the charms, Starfire has one of her own. It's a very small little star. Lucian has a very stylized sun. And Cassie has a moon. And if you hold them together properly, the negative space between them forms a wolf head howling. When Lucian goes on his road trip, he, she sends her so many letters. Although Lucian's are 30 pages long and Starfire's are one maximum. She does not ever write longer than one page. <laughs> but she reads everything that Lucian sends her. And whenever Lucian tells her that she started using he, she pronouns, Lucian gets back a letter with a pronoun button pin nailed with it. She does long distance with Cora while she's in school. They spend their summers together. And... I'm not entirely sure what direction their relationship takes, but I'd like to think that they find each other in every universe. Uh, I don't know if she goes to college, but you know, she has all the time in the world to figure it out. She does some stunt acting things for a little bit. I think she'd enjoy that. I think she'd think it was funny. <laughs> she gets a dog one day. I think she brings it over to play with Cassie's. And eventually when she is much, much older, opens a LGBTQ plus friendly gym with MMA classes and stunt acting classes and self-defense classes alongside Cassie, which they name Chainbreakers. Cassie is overjoyed when Starfire brings this up to him. And he uses the connections he had, he got once he was in school, um, interning and interacting with a bunch of local practices um to start programs and encourage um you know taking boxing classes or any kind of physical activity in the gym to help work off steam or to deal with um anything that 
someone's therapist might think good for them but mostly he just he just helps teach boxing classes and leads those programs when they come up starfire still loves fighting but she learned to love it because she is strong and she is confident and there is a way for her to do that that doesn't harm other people or isn't inherently tied to something bad and she learns to love it because she enjoys it and not because she has to Uh, and she loves teaching that eventually to other people at some point she and Cora paint a mural on the wall of the gym Starfire's section does not look as good as Cora's section but that's okay nobody needs to know But most of all, before any of that happens, she goes to a rainy Washington beach with the rest of the crew that just so happened to help save the world one day. And I think at this beach, it's mostly rocky and maybe there's a bit of a cliff you can climb up to the top of that they spend a bit of time on. And after the group spends some time sitting up there, and they turn to head back down, Starfire lingers at the tip for just a minute. And she's standing in the rain, feeling it against her skin, and for the first time doesn't count its rhythm there. And she reaches into her pocket, and she pulls out dust and some metal shrapnel, the remnants of the chain that she took from the three. And she takes them and she holds them, and she feels the rain against her skin and she drops them into the ocean. And if the moonlight catches her just right, you might just catch a glimpse of feathered things. And for the rest of her life, kids with eyes full of wide-eyed wonder and daydreamers with drifting minds, and anyone who knows that just a little bit of magic lives in Starfire's heart and so many others. And they just might catch a glimpse of her shadow while she's dancing and think they see wings at her back, too. And when she drops the chain and stands at the edge of the ocean looking off into the foggy horizon, she looks up and sees stars just behind the storm clouds and smiles and says quietly, Thank you, Casey, for the actual perfect segue. The fate of Fenris is something that none of you ever learn. After that night of revel, Fenris disappears. Their chains were broken, thanks to the actions of each of your characters. And Fenris ran free for the first time in millennia. As each of you makes your way into the world made warmer by the choice you made to love each other, sometimes you catch glimpses of them in the night sky, in the mall, sometimes even in yourselves. When you look up on cold winter nights, the stars are laid out like the tracks of a wolf racing through the heavens. Sometimes you can hear distant howling in a silent forest. Sometimes you catch flashes of brilliant red hair, just like Cora's, and a sharp grin that vanishes into the crowd when you look twice. Sometimes it's the hesitant, nervous joy you feel when you try something for the first time, 
or the wonder as you let yourself enjoy something you never thought you'd be able to have. It's the grief and the loss of losing so much of your life to expectations and pressure and families that couldn't care for you the way you needed. And it's the stinging raw vulnerability that comes with moving forward and healing from the pain and the hurts of the past. Fenris is gone and none of you ever see them again. But what you did that night for them and for yourselves is something you remember forever. The world can be a warmer place when we choose to make it one. And every time we choose freedom and love and hope, we break the chains that bind us. The end, the end. That is the official ending of the Cromwell Cro- No, fuck! <laughs> no. no, that's it. No, we're cutting it there. We're cutting it there. I am not editing it This episode featured Catherine Rarett as the Master of Ceremonies, Percival Walter as Lucian Astor, Quinn Porzen as Eden Grace, Arcadia Reeves as Cassie Rodriguez, Casey Fleming as Starfire Miller, Karina Revilla as Cesar Rodriguez-Reyes, Victoria Nielsen as Sylvia Striciante, and Saffron Heftigaub as Stephanie Chaplin. The Valkyrie Cycle is co-directed by Catherine Rarett and Saffron Heftigaub and produced by Casey Fleming. This season's editing team includes Catherine Rarett, Karina Revilla, Casey Fleming, Zola Heftigaub, and Saffron Heftigaub. Music for the Valkyrie Cycle was composed by Haley Adams and Quinn Borison. Art was created by Arcadia Reeves. And our social media team is run by Fabiola Liano. Additional sound effects are sourced from freesound.org and zapsplat.com under the Creative Commons Attribution License. For a full list of credits, please visit our website at midnightceremoniesmedia.com. Again, that's midnightceremoniesmedia.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to leave us a review and tell your friends, as word of mouth is one of the best ways to support the show. We appreciate all your support, and thank you so much for listening. Proud member of the Rainbow Roll Network. Rainbow Roll. Our Our stories are our voices. voices.